Can't pay the IRS? Haven't filed in a while? Receiving threatening letters? Yeah, it's about to get worse. The IRS is hiring an army of agents targeting hardworking Americans like you. You need warriors on your side. You need Tax Network USA. Tax Network USA employs brilliant strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. For instance, they've discovered a limited-time special offer that the IRS is willing to waive $1 billion in penalties. Find out if you qualify before it's too late. Never call the IRS alone. Let Tax Network USA attorneys handle it. They have preferred direct lines to the IRS. They know which agents to work with and which to avoid. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debts and offer a best-in-class guarantee. Schedule your free consultation now. Call one 800 245 6000 That's one 800 245 6000 Or visit taxnetworkusa.com slash victor. Taxnetworkusa.com slash victor. Hello and welcome to the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Victor is the Martin and Neely Anderson Senior Fellow in Military History and Classics at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. He has a website, victorhanson.com. It's called The Blavid of Perseus. We welcome everybody to subscribe for free and get our newsletter or subscribe to read the VDH Ultra articles for $5 a month or $50 a year. Today, we have a lot on our agenda. Biden's just finished his State of the Union address, and we'll be talking about that. We have a new article first, though, on Nord Stream 2 and the blowing up of the pipeline into Europe. So we'll talk about that first. Hang in there and come right back after these messages. Hey, folks, if you've been listening to our show, you've probably heard Victor talk about Hillsdale College. It's one of the few colleges in the U.S. still interested in teaching truth. What you probably didn't know is that they have over 40 free online courses. And Victor is one of the professors in three of those courses, American Citizenship and Its Decline, based on Victor's book, The Dying Citizen, How Progressive Elites, Tribalism, and globalization are destroying the idea of America, the Second World Wars, based on his book by the same name, and Athens and Sparta, partly based on his book, A War Like No Other, How the Athenians and Spartans Fought the Peloponnesian War. Don't you wish Victor would have been one of your professors in college? Well, now you can join him as he covers some of the main ideas of his books with Hillsdale College's online courses all available for free. That's right, for free. The courses are seven to nine episodes long, and they are self-spaced, so you can take them whenever and wherever. I think I'm going to start with American Citizenship and Its Decline, where Victor explores the history of citizenship in the West and the threats it faces today. Threats like the erosion of the middle class, the disappearance of our borders, the growth of an unaccountable deep state, and the rise of globalist organizations. Hey, start your free course with Victor Davis Hansen today. Go right now to hillsdale.edu slash VDH 
to start. It's free and it's easy to get started. That's hillsdale.edu slash VDH to start. hillsdale.edu slash VDH. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with factors, no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. What are you waiting for? For our listeners, Factor is giving you 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month when you use the promo code VICTOR50 at factormeals.com slash VICTOR50. Choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, or simply eat well-balanced. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Remember, to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month, head to factormeals.com slash Victor50, that's V-I-C-T-O-R-5-0, and use the code Victor50, that's code Victor50, at factormeals.com slash Victor50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Welcome back, Victor. We got a lot going on. Um, I hope that things are going well for you and your various, your various, yep. various what? Various activities. <laughs> various really, activities. <laughs> yeah, I've been stepping it up uh, as this uh, long COVID is fading. It's almost gone. It's kind of a miracle. I'm suffering COVID euphoria. Doctor said that that's he not he was treating me just a guy I know, and he just said. Look forward to COVID euphoria when you feel like you're liberated. I'm feeling that way. I wrote an article on the State of the Union today. It comes out tomorrow. I talked about that on Laura. Um, I'm writing a long piece on the triangle between Stanford University, Silicon Valley, and Bay Area left-wing politics and how they mutually are integrated. They're integrated and intertwined and how powerful they are and that ideology that emanates from them. Yeah, I'm reviewing, I'm writing a review of Mark Moyer's book, Triumph um, Regain. It's a really good book about the Vietnam War from 1965 to 68. It's the second volume in a multi-volume history, revisionist history of the Vietnam War, mm. which which is really good. I'm on my last chapter of my book, actually. I'm working on, I just finished the uh, fall of Carthage and the Third Punic War, and I'm doing the 1453 sack of uh, tragic mixed tragic reading just reading about of constantinople that yeah. bastion of the west and asia minor so i've been you know and I, we do these four podcasts a week so i did a, a good interview with devin nunes today he ha he has a podcast called unplugged and it, it, it's kind of weird they they live stream it and so anyway he we i did that today 
Hmm. And, and you've been you had an interview with the Epoch Times as well, I believe. Yes, recently. I had. To, yeah, I had to go down to Visalia and I had an that's going to come out. The Epoch Times interview. Uh, I did an interview a long time ago for that American Requiem that's on Fox streaming now. I'm in that. Um, I'm trying to think. I did. Uh, we had the Bradley board meeting, um, some subcommittees today. I just haven't had a, a lot of time to write. But um, uh, because of these, I've done, I think, four Foxes this will be this week. And I think that's because of the State of the Union, which we'll talk about. So I've been yeah. very, very busy. And I think that I've been very blessed because uh, when I got this really bad COVID and I got long COVID, there was points where I didn't know if I was going to get over it. When you talk about when you you shouldn't do this, you should never talk to somebody who's had it or you don't want to read it because it's one of despair. But I was always upbeat and thought, you know, it's a self-limiting disease. And I think I have some leftovers with my eyesight and hearing and stuff and but otherwise it's miraculous so i'm very full of gratitude that i feel yeah. so much better at least for now knock on wood yeah knock on wood well let's turn to the Nord Stream 2 pipeline we have a recent article in substack by seymour hirsch who said his source had direct knowledge of operational planning but we saw uh, tucker probably a couple of months ago when the Nord Stream pipeline was blown up say that he noticed that victoria newland had said it quote if russia invades ukraine one way or another nord stream 2 will not go forward and that's the end of the quote and tucker was saying he thought the us might be implicated but this art this new article by seymour hirsch has a long argument that is pointing to us um direct U.S. Uh, sabotage of Nord Stream 2 um, pipeline. I was wondering what your thoughts were on that. Well, it's very, very confusing. And you've got to be very careful about this because it's 85-year-old Seymour Hirsch. We, we, if you're my age, you remember Seymour Hirsch about the My Lai. He was the one that broke the My Lai. He didn't really go into Vietnam. He wasn't like all of those famous... Um, you know, journalists that were on the front lines. He was more of a rear guy that covered the Pentagon, the CIA from the home front. Not that he didn't go occasionally overseas, but he had basically the story right, although he sensationalized it. And you remember, he was the one that also said that the bin Laden raid was kind of lied about and that it wasn't quite what, and that, that, that turned out, there were elements of that that turned out kind of right. My point is, I could go through this all day of all of the sensational conspiracy theory things he said. Some have been rejected as outside law, outright fabrications. Some have been more or less reified into what we now consider facts. Some are a mixture of both. But in this article in Substack, I read, and you obviously read it, it's Oh, I don't know, four or 5,000 words. And he says he has these, of course, he always deals with unnamed sources. But what's weird about this is he's got sources from the Navy diving, uh, from the salvage and diving government, you know, uh, in Panama City, Florida. He's got people who apparently a source, he says, was on the intimate meeting and planning session. He's interviewed. And what, what our listeners want to know, well, what the hell is it? 
Well, it's this. He sets it up pretty well. Victoria, you're right. Victoria Newland had assured people that that pipeline wouldn't go forward. And Don, and Joe Biden, remember, had said earlier that if they go forward, he would take care of it. And then he, Tucker, and when it was blown up in September, I guess, of, of 22, Tucker immediately came out and on his show, he replayed, I think, two clips of Victoria Newland. One in, um, you know, and then she doubled down later, I should say, with Ted Cruz, you know, that we're both happy that it's no longer there after it was blown up. So she has a clip. He had a clip where she said it would not exist. And then after Tucker did that, he had an addendum months later with a clip with her in an exchange in Congress with Ted Cruz. And she says, we're both glad that it's not there it's junk and then there's a clip of joe biden saying that they're going to take care of it which was kind of you know crazy to say but then there's also that clip you remember in september after it happened that he joe biden categorically said i deny this happened it did not happen this was russian espionage and disinformation and that was feeding into the pre-midterm uh, Russian disinformation, laptop, coercion. So every they all, but by, what I'm trying to say is, Sammy, they got away with it. Yeah. That everybody today says, if you say that the United States blew up the Nordstrom one and most of the Nordstrom two pipeline, that is a conspiracy theory, and you are a nut. Yeah. After this story is over, I think this came out today. There's the onus. Well, you've got to. Rebute this, rebut this story. You've got to do it. Rebuke it, rebut it. Come out. Just like the Wuhan virus, you said people were nuts because they said it was a PLA uh, dominated or controlled viral lab that was the embryo of, of the COVID. And that turned out to be true. And there were people who said from the very beginning, the mRNA vaccines will not achieve lasting immunity. And you laughed at them. So, we're waiting. We're going to see what the government so far. It's hotly, hotly denied it. Mm -hmm. Now, why would that be? Because if you think about it, just think dispassionately, take a deep breath and say nuclear Russia is in a war with Ukraine, which is our proxy. And we intervened in that war and on the high seas and international waters attacked a Russian asset central to its economy and blew it up. Okay. And the, the article goes on the intricacies of how only the United States could have done it with our technology and our trained divers. And we could have only done it with the help of the Norwegians and the Danes, which is yes. very dangerous for that to come out because they're very vulnerable. And the Norwegians have always been very pro-American. And the Danes, and so anyway, they, with their full knowledge, they allowed their base, a base in Norway, and they allowed uh, the waters off their coast to be used by the United States. And we sent people down there and attached these mines, and then we dropped a buoy with a signaling device, sonar device that could detonate them on the command. And this is what's very important for our listeners. Originally, they were going to have a timed detonation. According to this, uh, tomorrow, somebody could say the guy is 85. He's like Joe Biden. He doesn't know where he is, Seymour Hirsch. But 
according to the story, then Joe Biden changed his mind and wanted personal control over it. So then they had to alter the mechanisms. They dropped a boy where he could send an electronic signal and blow them up. Yeah. And But if this is true, these are the implications is what I'm getting at. Number one, the president of the United States, unlike Dwight Eisenhower, when he was confronted with Gary Powers and he lied one time and then he came, he had to come clean when the Russians had a press conference. But Joe Biden has lied repeatedly and said that he did not do that and the United States did not do that. If that's true, if, if the story is true, if not, he's right. And he's accused the Russians of doing it. Number two, if that's true, the pipeline was owned by a consortium of German and Russian interest. So if this were to be true, we blew up a natural gas s series of deliveries systems to Germany on the eve of winter, which is our ally, and caused enormous amounts of hardship and maybe even death to Germans that could not get warm in this and the winter's not over three if this is true we've lied about it and we're going to be exposed as international liars and i think victoria newland who may have been the point woman uh, in the biden administration and i think she would have to be fired and i think there'd be an outcry about joe biden and four, and this is very important, if this were true, every covert military operation that takes that certain elements of the military take part in, and even though they try to outsource some stuff to the Danes or the Norwegians, or they got this salvage group, quasi-government group, nevertheless, that's not going to cut it. This was done by specialists in the U.S. military, and those covert operations uh, have to go before a congressional oversight. I think it's called the Gang of Eight. You know what I'm saying? Mm, yes, I do. Okay. Hey, this, the article suggests that they used a different group so they could yes. uh, subvert or go around. I think those. they did originally, but I think as the level of expertise to have the absentee, uh, to change the mechanism by which it could be fired. Hmm. It began to involve a, it began to involve the fleet maneuvers with our allies in the Baltic. It began to involve people in the uh, special services of Norway and Denmark. And it, those liaisons were beyond this particular salvage group. Got it. And so in other words, we they tried to circumvent the law, but and that introduces two interesting questions. A, did they just flagrantly break the law? I'm sure that Biden administration has no problem with that. And two, are people in the Congress lying about it when they say they weren't told or they didn't know about it? Or maybe they did know about it. I don't know. I don't know who's in the gang of eight. Yeah. But that's that's going to be very interesting because they did impeach Donald Trump for supposedly violating um, the law by supposedly uh, making a quid pro quo request of the Ukrainian government to that either they investigate his potential 2020 
a presidential opponent in exchange for resuming a temporarily suspended uh, shipment of offensive arms. This would be much, mm-hmm. much worse. This would be the president of the United States flat out lied and said the United States didn't do this. And then he ordered an attack on a nuclear power in the midst of a war. And he destroyed the essential property that was co-owned by a NATO ally, Germany. Yeah. And he warped the law and did not apprise congressional oversight. And that that if that this is true, and I don't know if it is because Seymour Hirsch, as I preface this conversation, doesn't have a good reputation for dependability and accuracy. But nonetheless, if all this were to be true, then he would be impeached. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what when I read it, my question, I'm sure your listeners questions was exactly on Germany. I mean, okay, so it could be an assault against Russia and Russia is your enemy. But doing this, you just made Germany a quasi enemy of sorts. I mean, what what would Germany be? (laughs) You know, that that doesn't sound very smart. I mean, everybody says Donald Trump was a criminal. Donald Trump told Germany face-to-face, no stealth, no artifice. What you're doing with Russia is very dangerous. You should not be entirely dependent on your natural gas supplies from Russia, given it is threatening the peace and stability of Eastern Europe and Ukraine. Don't do it. And they did it anyway. And they did it because the, the natural gas is plentiful, it's cheap, and whatever Germany can't sell in this huge terminals they have, they they mark it up and sell to Western Europe. Yeah. But he didn't. He didn't. He didn't blow it up. He didn't. He didn't break the law. This administration came in as we're going to be the most transparent administration in history, the most law-abiding. And it did two things. It reversed Trump's sanctions on the pipeline. Oh, these because in the in the Mad Dog Pavlovian, anything that Donald Trump did will do the opposite. Even though they would have approved of supposedly, if you're going to blow it up, at least you would approved of the, the milder uh, sanction. It, but they got rid of the sanctions for a while, and then they decided, well, he went in there, or he's going in there, and now he's in there, and and we've got to change and not only s- sanction Putin, but we're going to blow it up if that's true. And it just it's just so mind boggling that you this left wing propensity to project to project Donald Trump is on off and he he's not. They were, if this is true. And then Tucker Carlson, as you know, took a big hit, I think, in September when he's he replayed those two uh, damning and self-incriminating quotes from Joe Biden and Victoria Newland. And yeah. he said, case closed. And of course, Joe Biden said he was being hypothetical and and Victoria Newland said she was being metaphorical or rhetorical. And everybody said, every American said, and then Joe Biden got very angry and said, Russia did it, Russia disinformation. But he's played the Russian disinformation laptop card, the Russian disinformation uh, collusion card, the Russian disinformation alpha uh, ping ping bank card that he has no zero credibility, but yeah, yeah you're right. So I I, na- I just went through the repercussions if this were true, but they can be essentially boiled down to we attack 
the Russian Federation at a time of war in the with Ukraine. And we attack the property of an ally uh, that is very dependent on natural gas for its heating during the winter. And we did it right on the cusp of winter. And possibly we circumvented or found some gymnastics to get around the law so that we didn't have to inform Congress that we were using the military in a covert operation that was military. So yeah. that, that's the story. Yeah, if Seymour Hersh's article is all true, and we've established that he has some, um, he's had some problems in the past with the accuracy of his work. But you also said that he has had accurate things in his work. So we don't know. Maybe it's well, partially uh, there and not quite all there. I think <laughs> I think you could sum up his work like this. He doesn't like the United States. He's a critic of it. And he searches the horizon every morning he gets up to find an embarrassing, contradictory example of American barbarity, crudity, my life. I'll give you another example, Abu Ghraib, the prison in Iraq. So he got wind of that and the pictures, remember, of the people humiliating and and then he exaggerates torture, systematic. No, it was it was a bunch of untrained people taking pictures of people naked and all sorts of horrible things, but it wasn't a systematic gulag. But my point is this, that that doesn't mean it's inaccurate. Yeah. His, if his intention is to hurt the United States and his intention is to exaggerate it and, and to deprive it of all context, whether it's my lie or Abu Ghraib or the bin Laden raid, it doesn't mean that what he's saying is false. Yeah. That's what you have to remember. And I, I kind of wrote that. What about Abu Ghraib? Nobody dislikes Seymour Horsch more than I do. But when he laid out that evidence, and I know what the purpose was that he printed that, and it did enormous damage to the United States, both in Iraq on the international scene. But I couldn't write that he was making it up. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Victor, let's go ahead and take a break and then come back and talk about the State of the Union address. We'll be right back. Have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and veggies may actually lower, lower your risk of cancer. Hopefully you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. If not, you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is found in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. Will Field of Greens prevent, treat, or cure cancer? No, but it's so powerful, it promises at your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or your money back. I got you 15% off and free rush shipping, visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code VICTOR, V-I-C-T-O-R, for your discount. That's promo code VICTOR at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion, Hunter Biden, and the security and intelligence failures that preceded January 6th. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. 
I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished, and unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive member-only access to events, and you'll be helping us dig up more truth. Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe. We're back. Welcome. So Joe Biden gave his State of the Union last night, and there was a lot in it and a lot not in it, and a lot of problems that have been unaddressed. And yet the whole sound of the speech was that things were going good. What were your reflections on this? Um, that was what I wrote a column today. So I can probably answer that. There were three themes to the speech. Number one, misinformation and disinformation. Number two, uh, omission. And number three, slander and smear. So the speech had a lot of disinformation. So he's a president that's at 41% approval, 37% only want him to run again in his own party, in his own party. 66% think that since he's president, the country's in the wrong direction. Kamala Harris polls even lower. And that is because he inherited a 1.4 inflation rate and he spiked it up to seven. He inherited 241 a gallon gas and it's now at 350 and it's down from five dollars he gave us 20 percent inflation on key food items seven dollars seven dollars a dozen for eggs it got up two three weeks ago fifteen dollars a pound for some steak 95 dollars. i saw that with my own eyes about six months ago at home depot for a sheet of plywood so wow. what he did is, given that, then he just said, well, it's going back. So he said, inflation's coming down. Gas is coming down. Well, that where was it now? What is it down right now compared to what you inherited? Nobody likes to fill up a 30-gallon tank and pay $30 more than when you weren't president. So what I'm, I'm, what I'm saying is this whole disinformation is – destroy, 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 destroy. And then when the level of destruction starts to taper off because it's reached its maximum level, he can say, I'm reducing things and restoring it. But the destruction is still there because, uh, in two senses. Inflation, interest rates, 2.6 for a 30-year mortgage when he came president, 6.5 now. I could go on. Natural gas tripled in one year. Natural gas tripled in one year, heating. Wow. So he inherited a very strong with economy with these good in indicators, and he destroyed it. How did he destroy it? He stopped the Keystone Pipeline. He stopped new federal leases. He uh, symbolically stopped the East Med Pipeline. He jawboned lending agencies so they should not extend lines of credit to the oil companies. And uh, he created a, a climate of uh, antagonism to the entire oil industry that could not lease. And then he took, most importantly, he shut down the entire Anwar, the Arctic wild uh, wildlife refuge, uh, refuge. He shut that down. And he shut down vast areas that could no longer uh, be explored for gas and oil. 
just at a time when demand was peaking and he had fueled that demand with $4 trillion of easy, funny money. So he created the inflation. He created the gas crisis. He caused interest rates to go up. And he, all of that was never discussed, nor was the fact that we're $31 trillion in debt. It's gone up $4 trillion. And what did he do? I'm going to give this group, and I'm going to give this group, and I'm going to give this and this and this. And, and then he, he, dis, he misinformed. You know, the, the rich are going to finally pay their fair share. Rich are going to pay the 1%. Of households that file income tax pay 40, 40, 40 percent of federal income tax. 50 percent of Americans don't pay any. So how can that be the richer getting maybe the hyper rich like him, you know, or George Soros that have a whole armies of tax lawyers. But the upper, upper middle class is paying through the nose. They're paying, you know, 39% federal income tax in states like New York and California. They're paying 10, 12, 13%. And when you add Medicare and Obamacare penalty, they're paying 60% sometimes in income tax. So for him to disinform was, was really awful. And then he, he ignores. So if you listen to that speech, you'd never know that 5 million people across the border illegally. He said, 70, we got to address 70,000 fentanyl deaths. Well, you did it. You should tell people it comes across the border because when you opened it, Mexican cartels have factories that are designed solely for export. And when there's no border, you up and it's actually closer to 100,000 dead. He didn't mention the crime wave of all of his. Uh, defunding the police. He's talking, you know, defunding the police, defunding the police, defunding the police. He didn't mention the uh, end of U.S. energy independence, that we're more dependent. And he went, and what do I mean by that? I'll be specific. He went to Venezuela and begged them. He He begged Iran. He begged Saudi Arabia. He even begged Russia before the invasion for them to pump more oil that he had in abundance and would not. And then he drained the Arctic, uh, the excuse me, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. He drained that right on the eve of the election. He doesn't tell you any of this stuff. No. Nothing, nothing. He brags that he created more jobs, but if you actually look at the jobs, they're not very much. I think there's only he said twelve million. Uh, no, there's only about two million. Yeah, jobs. he said. Yeah, he said he he created twelve million. Yes, but what he the did was the labor market was down by thirty million because yes. of COVID. All he did was he sat there and had ice cream and dozed off in Merrill, in Delaware, and during that natural period of recovery, people started to come back to work. Not to to the degree they were working, but they did. And if you you can tell that by the labor, the the best indicator of job robustness is the labor participation rate and we've had it up to 64 or 5 percent of the available workforce and when he came in it was over 63 percent and now it's low 62 and it's going down so fewer people are participating in this economy he's going to get stagflation if we don't are not already in it so he misinformed and then he ignored and then he attacked so he accused the Republicans of planning to cut 
what social security and medicare and they have not done that and then then they yelled at him and like an english parliamentary back and forth and then he lied and said that the tragic death in memphis by a black youth that was beaten to death by five black officers in a city that's 65% black with a black police chief and a black assistant police chief was all a sign of overreach by law enforcement in general who make 11,000 arrests per year. And this is why poor black parents have to give the talk, he said, give the talk. The talk is... You better be careful when you go outside this door because the white police and the white racist country are going to kill you. That's the talk. And that's what he did. In other words, he smeared people who had nothing to do with this shooting. And if he wants to talk about interracial crime or which he wants to, but there was not a good example, then he could have talked about this poor girl that was nine years old. And it's analogous because there were officials of the state on the bus the driver and the enforcer, supposedly, the intendant, and they watched impotently why two African-American youths beat the hell out of a nine-year-old girl. And if he really wants to talk about interracial crime, he can talk about another iconic, because he likes iconic cases. He likes to take an individual and make that a collective abstraction. Okay, there was a very, very accomplished doctor, as we and I talk, riding a bicycle on the PCH near Dana Point, a African-American of mixed race, deliberately swerved his Lexus and knocked this poor person head over heels into the intersection, slamming him on the pavement, and he was still alive. And then he went out with a knife and systematically executed him, allegedly saying white privilege. Did he mention that? No. He even tried to connect Paul Pelosi to January 6th. I don't know how you do that, because the assailant of Paul Pelosi was an illegal alien from Canada, and he lived in a commune that was dressed out with Antifa and pride flags, and his politics were all over the map. So that's what he does. And misinform, leave out facts, attack, attack. And you know something else about him, Sammy? Most of the time he slurs and stutters and he makes up words and it's it's just, it's incomprehensible. If you look at the, at the transcript, if it's printed accurately, not what he was reading, but what was actually said and recorded as a spoken word, it's, it's incomprehensible. There's words there I've never heard before. They're just mush. And, but... When he starts talking about the Republicans, they're going to cut us again. And he starts shouting. And suddenly his voice rises. His face gets red. His eyes get beady. He frowns. His eyebrow. He turns into. It's very strange. That's the only thing is what I'm getting at. That's the only thing that excites him. Mm. He gets angrier at Republicans than he does at Putin. He gets angrier than he does at the Chinese. And when I say, you know, he he leaves out, he didn't even talk about the balloon except that it shoot it down. He doesn't say and he, he doesn't say that the balloon came across U.S. soil and his team was ordered to lie. They said, oh, it was too crowded. Oh, it was probably a weather balloon. Oh, 
it was a primitive spy device that had no efficacy. Oh, we we covered up everything so it couldn't have done anything. That those were all either half lies or complete lies. And yeah. and then you're left with a paradox, as we said earlier, that he's he's sending billions of dollars to protect the border of Ukraine while he discounts any chance of a nuclear response from an exasperated and crazy and desperate wounded tiger Putin. And yet he's so afraid of the Chinese that uh, he won't shoot down one of their satellites when it involves the, the sovereignty of the United States. Scary. Yeah. Very scary. Yeah. Well, did you, how about the after or before he came to his speech? Did you have any observations on DC culture and the interactions that you saw? (laughs) (laughs) It's very funny. um, Because um, I was talking on Tucker's right before that. And then, so I was out in the barn here on the ranch. And by the time I got in, it was already, you know, close up the the automatic system. I came in here and it was already going on. But he he loves the ceremony of walking in. And it's very funny to see all these supposed radicals who were so anti-American, like Maxine Waters and members of the Black Caucus just rushed the aisles to get pictures with him and selfies. And I thought, why would you want to do that? You're so critical of the country. And yet the pre- and yet there was almost. But that was not I'm not saying it was based on race. I'm talking about ideology. All these people who are so far left want to be seen in the center of action and power on TV. And then afterwards, he didn't leave. He was there longer, I think, than any president in history. And there yeah. were these fascinating little vignettes with this hyper sensitive sound equipment of television. So everybody's mixing up and there's all these little psychodramas going on. There was Adam Schiff runs up to like a little puppy dog with a bone in his mouth. That was wonderful. <laughs> and nobody <laughs> believed that. that in, and what he was basically saying as I was watching him, you know, he was just trying to be so toady and obsequious to Biden the man of the hour, tough Adam Schiff, who's now lost his TV exposure because he's been canned from the House Intelligence mm-hmm. Committee. And he has no platform to lie anymore on TV. And he's running for Senate. So he's basically up there begging Biden, I guess, to endorse him. And he just got kind of Biden just kind of I don't know if it was because of senility or what. He just kind of pushed him away. And then on the other side, there was the pathological liar. George Santos, who comes, and Mitt Romney, a man of the Christian faith, who's so sanctimonious. He says, he just, I guess everybody's afraid of getting caught on a photo op. It's kind of like with a mass murder, you know, who goes to a political event and nobody knows. Then years later, they show a picture of Jimmy Carter with that clown guy that killed everybody, and they tried to blame Carter. Well, you can get blamed if you get a picture. So everybody's afraid of this guy because they don't know what he's done or will do. He's nuts. So they all, but Mitt Romney sees him and he says, you don't belong here. Dope. And then he turns around and he calls him ass, ass. And then then you can see Santos calls him, you're a big asshole. (laughs) He adds the hole to ass. Wow. So then then you're getting into this whole insight into Mitt Romney. And and 
you know, Mitt Romney, I've only met, I've had breakfast once with Mitt Romney, and he's a very religious guy, and he's very sanctimonious, self-righteous, as many people can be in that position of influence and power. But this is not his brand to make, to, even against a pathological liar. And then later he said he's a sick puppy and all this. And I thought, what has happened to Mitt Romney? Did Donald Trump crush him? Yeah. You know what I mean? Donald Trump, yes. I guess Donald Trump's sin was A, getting the nomination. B, I think it was wrong to do that, but to tease him and, and dangle out the Secretary of State so that Mitt would on all fours bark and go up to Trump Tower and then be humiliated when he said no. But then Donald Trump backed him for Senate. And then when he was elected Senate, probably with the help of Donald Trump, that, that sort of said he had mega fides to the Utah electorate. And then he started attacking Trump and voting against him. He was the one sure vote that whatever Donald Trump want, Mitt Romney voted against him. And before the he was even elected, you remember in 2016, Donald Trump was ready to get the nomination. And at the last days of that sure thing, the remaining remnants of the opposition appointed Mitt Romney as attack dog. So he gave these videos. Remember, Mitt, Mitt Romney, Mitt Romney, and Donald Trump, Trump whiskey and Trump steaks and Trump, you know, they're phony as this. And it just it was just a fusilades of hatred of Trump. And yeah. and I don't get it, but it's one it's one of those people like a Bill Crystal or Joe Scarborough or a Michael Hayden who have completely become irrational. And they've destroyed their brand. Mitt Romney's brand was he was kind of a stuffy square guy and he would always lose 46 percent or 47 percent in a president. He'd tried once or twice before. He played by the markers of Queensberry rules, but he was a good human being and he was polite and sober and he had a, a certain sense of decorum. But then when he started screaming about Trump and he begged Trump for the endorsement and then he bit the hand that fed him. And then with this, uh, this it was not necessary. Everybody knows George Santos is a pathological liar. <laughs> exactly. You know, why, why would you want to go get an encounter with him? Yeah. And so you just punch down to his level. And so that was that was an exchange. What about the kiss? <laughs> oh, my God. I hadn't seen that before. You know, <laughs> no. I can say something personal. I probably give, I didn't this year because of long COVID, but in the previous 10 years, I probably, and I'm going to quit because I'm too old to do it anymore, but I probably gave an average of two or three lectures a month. So 30 to 40, 50 a year. And sometimes they were 40 people. Sometimes there were 2,000 people. Depends on the venue. And you have a lot of people come up. And a lot, half of them are the opposite sex and some are 80 and some are 20. And this, and some of them are very formal and careful to shake your hand. Some were afraid of COVID. They didn't want to get near you. Thank God. And others were huggy type, squeezy types, right? Some of them wanted to kiss you on the cheek, I suppose, once in a while. I have never had a woman kiss me on the lips. Never, never, never. So when I saw the husband of Kamala Harris and the wife, first lady, Jill Biden, kiss, and they went right to it with a long, what, what would you call a funnel kiss? It was weird. 
I've never seen that. Have you? Is that what happens? When somebody just, what? I guess they, they lock lips. So I, I was just dumbfounded and I was amused. I'm not making, I'm making a mountain out of a molehill, but it was almost, <laughs> when you saw that happen, it was almost as if, I mean, if you were going to make a cartoon out of it, you would say that Mr. Harris is stuck with Camilla and Mrs. Biden is stuck with Joe and they both know it. And for a minute, minute of unrestrained candor, they kissed in such intensity to commiserate. I'm just being stupid now, but that's what that, that it was very weird. There was another uh, psychodrama, and that was when they attacked the Republicans, they being the Joe Biden speechwriters through the mouthpiece of Joe Biden. And he accused them, I think the word he used was sunsetting, sunset, yeah. sunsetting. Sunsetting Social Security. Yep. Yeah, when he did it, Marjorie Taylor Green had some kind of big white coat, and she jumped up and said, liar. <laughs> and, that's, and that's set off. Last time that happened, I think that guy was name was kind of a nut, Joe Walsh. And he, I think in 2008 or 2009, you remember he was like yeah. weird guy from South Carolina. And he, uh, he said, you know, uh, when Obama was talking about, uh, I guess, Obamacare, and he made some fantastic claims, and he jumped up and said, you lie. You yeah. lie. And that was like a scandal. Shows you how far the house has fallen. And today I looked at some of the commentary, and all the left goes, it was just an English parliamentary circus. It was a third world screaming, and the Republicans ashamed, were, should be ashamed. No. Who destroyed the decorum? Do you think there's not consequences when you're the Speaker of the House and on national TV, you frown, you growl every time the President of the United States says something. And then when he hands you a document belonging to the U.S. government, you break the law as Speaker of the House and tear it to shreds, as Nancy Pelosi did. I didn't see Kevin McCarthy doing that. So yeah. my point is they they broke the rules of decorum and now there are no rules, apparently. And you can and Joe Biden, everybody said, this is what I don't understand about the left. They think we're stupid. They say Joe Biden baited them and then they ended up showing their true. No, he didn't. They yelled. And most times when somebody yawns or yells, the president smiles and goes on. Right. He, uh, yes. he doesn't lower himself. He got into an <laughs> argument. No kidding. No, I got the documents approved. And he went off on this tangent two or three times. It was so, like he was negotiating a, yeah, a, was, a, a bit of legislation, too. He goes, well, OK, then we've settled things. None of us want to do anything to Social Security. <laughs> so you know that if, the, the long and the short of it is if you can't explain how you how or why you spiked inflation to a 40 year high or interest rates to a 20 year high or you doubled the price of gas at one point, you tripled the price of heating oil, you ran up the debt four trillion dollars and you eroded middle class wages. And don't take my word for it. The polls show that everybody is angry at you for doing that. Then what do you do? You you disinform, you ignore and you attack.
and that's what he did uh, throughout the whole the whole circus. And uh, yeah. you notice that he always has these things that he latches on the buzzwords of the evil white male Christian heterosexual Republican conservative. It's so <laughs> you knew what they were. They were climate change and cigarettes and guns and January 6th and race. So when he got through it, you thought, oh, my gosh, he's he's suggesting that every gun toting chain smoker racist January 6th insurrectionist who wants everybody to die from an abortion an legal abortion. That's who his enemies are. And that's that's what he did. It was a, yeah. it's a whole, the whole thing is, I think, just to finish up, what we all are desperately wanting is a president to go up on the stage in the State of the Union and talk for 30 minutes, right? 30 minutes, no longer. Number two, no personal little stories. I, I feel great about all the people they bring in with these tragedies. And then the, the president talks about his tragedy. Even Sarah, so I thought uh, Miss Sander uh, Huckabee, Sarah, Huckabee. Sarah, Sarah Sander Huckabee did a very good job. But she even got into the anecdotal. Just do 30 minutes, no personal melodramas, no anecdotes, no guests, no call outs to the gallery and just tell people the truth. We are $31 trillion in debt. We're adding a trillion dollars to it. Our currency is being devalued. We're paying $450 billion, billion uh, in interest. We're spending 2 to 3% on defense, and we should be spending 5 And we're, we are a naturally rich country, and we're going to start using our natural gas and precious metals for batteries and oil. But they won't do that. But if they did yeah. that, it would restore sanctity to the to the institution. But I think the State of the Union's become like, I don't know, the Tony, the Oscar awards, the Grammys. It's just a joke. Yeah, well, they're trying to move the audience by emotion rather than just stating what, you know, to appeal to their reason. And so, you know, the classic Socratic problem there, you shouldn't be moving people by emotions. You should always appeal to reason. But people like to have their emotions played with. Yeah, I think so. They do. But it's, you know, it's it's just getting... I don't know. I, I just think that it's uh, you sit there and you watch this guy take all of this bad news and then claim that it's all bad. But recently, it's not quite as bad as it was at its peak, but it's still a lot worse than when I inherited it. I made it a lot worse. And then he tries to, to lie about it. And then there's and then you think, what would be the most important thing for a country? The sovereignty of its airspace, a secure border, affordable eggs, the ability to fill up the gas, gas for not, you know, 10% of your income. And he can't, and then he just ignores all that, ignores it, ignores it, ignores it. He talks about Putin, Putin, Putin. But you want to say, well, why did he go into Ukraine? Because you, idiot, said that if he went in and it was a minor incursion, it would be tolerable. And then you destroyed. 
You destroyed our deterrence in August of the prior year that convinced him we wouldn't do anything because we fled from the Taliban and the worst military humiliation in our history. And we left all that stuff. And now yep. Putin, of course, is reportedly going to buy some of the stuff. And if he blew up the Norton pipeline after he lied about it, he, he, he has one advantage. And I think everybody understands it better even than I do. The fact that he's non-composmenta, he's not in possession of his mind. And he hugs bunny rabbits. He shakes imaginary hands. He makes up words. He drifts off to corn pop territory. He can't, he shouldn't be in office, but that is also an advantage because when he lies about things of social security in the case of the Republicans or his own record, people think, well, I have a grandfather that's 85 and I don't call him a liar when he claims he was, you know, that he, his son died in Iraq. Um, I don't call him a liar when he says that his wife was killed by a drunk truck driver. I, all these, you just, he doesn't know, Victor. He doesn't know. Yeah. And that's what he does. So you mm. can't take, you can't hold him to account because on the one hand, he's not in control of his faculty. Once you cross the Rubicon and say that you, it's okay for a president to be cognitively challenged, impotent, challenged yeah. then once you say that, and you're always going to make up for him and you're going to, you know, point him in the right direction, stage left, stage right. Once you do that, three day work week, 10 hours of sleep at Delaware, this work. Once you do that, then uh, and people will believe it and they're willing to put up with it. Then you get some advantages. You just say, well, you're making fun of a sick man. OK, you're making fun of an octogenarian. Oh, that's really big of you. And so, you know, that that's what they're doing. I mean, if he was my grandfather and my grandfather was, I don't know, a lawyer or something, I went and watched him in court and he acted like Joe Biden, I wouldn't make fun of him. I would no, if somebody Yeah, but, somebody, somebody would say, Well, your hey, your grandfather's demented. I'd say, How dare you say that? That's how we then that's how he, he uses that, you know, is what I'm mm -hmm. trying to say. Or maybe Jill, Jill Biden, who's increasingly Dr. Jill is increasingly becoming sort of the power behind the throne, or at least the conduit to the powers behind the throne, whether those those are the Obamas or the Elizabeth Warrens or Bernie Sanders or the the hard left donors. She's the conduit. She's also I, she's very similar to Pete Buttigieg, too. They're both very sanctimonious, self-righteous, incompetent yeah. and incompetent. Yeah. And untalented. Um, and um, I think that most of your listeners and I would say, though, most octogenarians are not trying to be president. <laughs> and so <laughs> if he's going to try to be president and have those handicaps, then to, you know, it's it's. No, a I agree with you. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just telling you, not that I yeah. approve of it. I'm just no, telling course, you yeah. that, and I don't have a grandfather that was a lawyer, but if I had a grandfather, I would say to myself, he shouldn't be practicing at 85 or he gets what he deserves. But when yeah. I saw what he deserves, I would stick up for him because he's my, yeah. he, I felt bad for him. Yeah, of course. So, um, so well, Victor, let's go ahead and take a break and then come back and talk a little bit about the Ukrainian uh, war, the war in Ukraine and and um, some of your thoughts on that. Uh, stick with us. We'll be right back. 
Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Welcome back. So the Ukrainian war, the only thing I was reading some stuff actually for the State of the Union, and I came across a Trump article about the State of the Union. And what Trump writes is that <laughs> and this is that this is the heading. I saw that. that. Biden is leading us to World War Three when it, everything is said and done. Nothing matters in his speech, except that's an impression I got. But um, so I think he's referring to the Ukraine. What are, what, do you have any update on the Ukraine war? Um, well, I mean, I don't think any of you who are listening have, are going to get much knowledge from Seymour Hersh's story, because I think it'll be suppressed about the Nordstrom. That would be a big story, wouldn't it? Yes. But the biggest development, though, is um, we're sort of waiting for this impending Russian of spring offensive. It's a long history in Russia of the spring offensive once the mud dries up and everything. And we'll see. And that's going to determine a lot. Because he says he has 300,000 fresh and these time, this time well-trained troops. They're better supplied. And, you know, Ukraine cannot afford to lose 100,000 casualties or deaths, fatalities as Russia can. Because Russia's got three and a half times the population. So that's going to determine a lot. But I think people are starting to ask. Uh, they're not they're not. They're not questioning the premise that Vladimir Putin is a monster who crossed the sovereign borders of Ukraine against international law and tried to decapitate that government. And then in frustration, as he lost on the battlefield, you waged an aerial campaign of terror and deserves to lose. We all agree with that. But what we're starting to see is that to to give to give the victory to Ukraine, which are left and never Trump right insist on, and which all of us would probably all given our druthers like to see is going to require a strategy or uh, a requirement of goods that I don't think are compatible with what we can do. Because the, to win, and if victory is defined by getting every Russian out of you, out of the borderlands and the Donbass and Crimea and putting them all back in Russia, then you don't you don't ever do that in war without attacking the source of supply. So you're going to have to start waging, as I keep saying, a lot of preemptory offensive expeditionary type of operations inside Mother Russia. And when you do that, 
the Swedes, the French, and the Germans, you just don't do that inside Russia. And you defeat Russia when it's overextended in Japan in 1904 or in Finland in 1939. You do not defeat Russia uh, 100 miles outside of Moscow if you're the French or the Germans. You just don't do it. And you're not going to do it this time. So are, if Biden really wants to win this war, then he should have a a press conference and he should stay. I'm committed to getting all of Vladimir Putin's out. And we are going to commit another $350 billion. And there's going to be, it's going to be a nightmare of casualties. And we're going to warn Mr. Putin and Russia, there will be no use of nuclear weapons. Or if you're not going to do that, and I don't think you should, but if you if you want to win, that's what you'd have to do. Then if you're not going to do that, then what's going to happen? You know what's going to happen. It's going to be Verdun. It's just going to be uh, the spring offensive will kind of peter out. They'll get it 15 miles further. In the, and then the Ukrainians will, Ukrainians will counterattack. And they want to hum more Humvees. You give them Humvees. They want more Abrams. You give them more Abrams. They give them... They get the Abrams, then they want more HIMARS. You give them more HIMARS, then they want more Patriots. You give them Patriots, and they say, well, why didn't you give us F-16s? As if or or related. Meanwhile, China, Russia, North Korea, Iran, India, Turkey, maybe, half the world's population starts to galvanize against the West. And so that's what... That's what's dangerous. Nobody's talking about how to what, what the end game is. There's only one end game if you don't want to win absolutely. And you believe that Vladimir Putin will not use nuclear weapons. Uh, then it's to get him all out of Ukraine. And that's I think it's going to be far beyond what Europe and America and Ukraine are able to pay for. So then what's the, the solution? There's only one that I can think of. Screw the UN, but you get India and you get China and you get Russia and you get the United States and you get NATO dash EU. And you say these areas that are now contested are going to be demilitarized. So there will be a truce and each side pulls out of Ukraine militarily. And we're going to have a plebiscite in these Russian majority speaking areas. And I think most of them would vote to. To, to join Ukraine after this horrible war, but who knows? And then you say to Ukraine, we're going to allow you to have most of this equipment and keep it. And we're going to tell Russia, they're going to be armed to the teeth. You're never going to be able to go into Ukraine again. They're going to, they're going to repel you. They're not going to get caught this time. They're much better armed in their experience. And we're going to ensure that, but they're not, we, we agree they're not going to be part of NATO and see if that leads to anything. Yeah. Well, you, when you're talking, I was thinking, well, in North, I mean, in Korea, they tried to have elections, I believe. And then the South and the North, they they just didn't go through. I think the North just rejected um, accepting the elections, if I recall they did, correctly. They tried it. They did and, it in Vietnam as well. And they did it in Vietnam as well. And they neither of them would accept the election process. So, But that was the entire country that was involved. I'm just talking about our small regional area and see what yeah. they want to do. Yeah. The problem is this, is that if this if this was so important and this is the great existential issue, why didn't we stop it in 2014? 
I think I wrote a, an article saying it was called something like Putin on the prowl. And I said, the more you appease this guy with your reset and Hillary Clinton, you know, promising that she was going to direct, uh, redirect the harsh policies of George W. Bush. And you overlooked the missile treaty. You overlooked, uh, you lowered the sanctions. You got, you absorbed a green agenda that allowed gas oil to spike in 2012 and 13, which made Putin even richer. You talked about phony red lines with the Russian foreign minister in Syria. All of that, when you were doing all that, that and then you you had the hot mic deal where give me some space and I'll get rid of i.e. give me some space don't invade and I'll get get rid of I'll be flexible on missile defense they kept the bargain Putin got what he wanted no missile defense in Eastern Europe Obama got what he wanted reelected without reelected without Putin embarrassing him by going into what he did go into in 2014. And nobody talks about that now. Yeah. No, no, all these zealots, never Trump right, um, the hard left. I just want to say to them, why didn't you, why weren't you this animated before? And then the second question I asked them is, let me get this straight, 2014 and 2022, but not 2017, 18, 19, and 20. Now, why is that? Why is that? Is it because the what James Clapper said, the Russian puppet was not a puppet, and he deterred Putin, and Aviator Joe was a puppet, and Barack Obama was a puppet, and he took them both to the cleaners, but for four years he kept, in within his borders is that possible nobody's talking about that so if you don't know how you got in ukraine in 2014 into this mess how are you going to get out of it yes exactly are we going to leave it there victor because we've come to the end of our time <laughs> or were you going to add something to that that sounds bleak i guess is what i, I, I don't want to end on a bleak i know you've said that and i'm very sensitive because i did an interview with Former Representative Nunes, he said, you're very bleak. And somebody else just said that, oh, I did an epic times. But you're very bleak. I'm not bleak. I'm trying to be realistic about we're in a revolution and we're losing. And we've got to galvanize. Everybody, according to their station, has to speak up, yeah. laugh in the face of the cancel culture, go on the attack and get back the country. It's not the left's country. And what is our solution to this war in Ukraine? The war in Ukraine. What should we What should we be doing with the war in Ukraine? We should be telling President Zelensky that we believe that the continued escalation is destroying his country, and insidiously we're on a trajectory to a nuclear showdown with Russia. I know what he'll say. Well, that'll be good because you can, <laughs> and we're going to say no, and so we're going to say to him. We want you to negotiate the Russian majority speaking areas of Ukraine. And in exchange for that, we will ensure that you have enough arms to protect yourself in the coming decades. But you're not going to be a member of NATO. If he was a member of NATO right now, yeah. we would be in a nuclear war. 
or there be no, or there be no NATO. And put, uh, some Russians today, that Chechen governor said that Poland is next. But you know, and I'm not. I'm not a. I've never been accused of appeasement, so uh, I don't like Putin. I think I want Russia to lose. But I, there has to be a better way to solve this than to kill three, four, five hundred thousand civilians uh, in the heart of Eastern Europe, and to exhaust the strategic arsenal of the United States and to lose deterrence and to drive Russia into the hand, the arms of China and Iran and North Korea and Turkey and. This new Indian, India is buying Russian oil. Turkey's shielding Russian oligarchs. Turkey's selling arms to both sides. India is an arms buyer from Russia. It's, 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 and then while we're doing all of this, we have a wide open border that five million people crossed and we have an airspace that we can't defend. The Pentagon goes, these are very primitive devices. They would not be able to be, uh, operating the level of sophisticated satellites, and you want to say, you idiot, then why did they build them? And then the next day, the NORAD general says, well, apparently I've, I've discovered maybe that there had been previous intrusions. There must be some flaw in the NORAD system. Well, you think that they're trying to make a sub-technological or a basic primitive system that might not have the metal or the radar exposure or some mechanism to befuddle us and get in under our system. And mm. so, and so, you know, they made fun of this congressman who said there might be a bioweapons lab. That was preposterous. But what if you wanted to do that in a bioweapons, right? I mean, people make bioweapons for a purpose, right? And that is in an existential war to use them. So you can see that if that had, had been a bioweapon, it would have just gone right through. And so it was a telling moment. Yeah, it sure was. Well, we need new leadership. That's for sure. I guess we do. That's we need it all look, comes down. Yes. And I'll just finish with we need to have a new Pentagon leadership. And yes. uh, when I saw those generals at the State of the Union, I wanted to say I wouldn't be so proud, you people. You you misled the American people yet again about the Chinese balloon. You should have shot it down the first day. You made excuses, excuses, excuses. You lied. You disinformed. And then when you got caught, you tried to claim that Trump knew about earlier incursions, which was a flat out lie. You won't tell us who leaked that to the press because you want to protect that liar. This is on top of you told us that Ukraine would fall very quickly. You told us that. Kabul would last not quickly, but forever. It was defensible. And you contacted your Chinese counterpart to warn them about your own commander in chief. You told us about white supremacy and white rage that you were hunting out in the ranks. On, on, on and on. Anything but keep your blank mouth shut. Keep out of politics and make sure that we win on the battlefield. If you can't um, do that, resign. Yeah, and that the country's safe. And it's keep, yeah. If you can't keep a balloon out of the United States and you won't help Trump build the wall, which the DOD didn't do, and we can't keep the southern border, and you lose Afghanistan after all those American deaths, and you leave behind because you just flee in flight and terror, 
billions of dollars of weapons, many of them actually will end up in Vladimir Putin's hands. And then you have no business lecturing us about race or wokeness or anything. You're a complete failure. And they need to get their act together very quickly. They need to get somebody kind of reminds me of the period in which Halleck was chief of staff of the army. And he we were rotating between McClellan and Pope and Hooker and Burnside. And then all of a sudden, somewhere out of nowhere came this former drunk from Galena, Ohio, Ulysses S. Grant. And Galena, Illinois, I guess it was. And then we got this manic depressant, William Tecumseh Sherman. And between Sherman and Grant, the, the it was a victory. As soon as they got control, there was not going to be a question. Well, yeah, but, the war yeah. turned around. That's for sure. And we need people like that somewhere. Somehow there is a Ulysses S. Grant or a Matthew Vidgeway or a William Tecumseh Sherman or a George Patton, who's not a yes man clerk. They're in the military. I've met them before and we need to find them and to promote them like Eisenhower did over the tops of this dead weight immediately. We need to tell every general, you're not going to serve in a civilian cabinet post when you get out. There's going to be, we're going to enforce. And I was wrong about that. I wrote an article that we should give these people waivers. We should not. They should not serve as a civilian. And we should say, you're, if you go into the military and you are in the highest officer corps and you retire from the military, you're not going to work for Raytheon, General Dynamics, Northrop Lockheed within five years. Sorry. We're going to wait till your expertise and your contacts get stale about using your clout and your former rank to help hawk uh, your company's weapons to uh, Pentagon procurement officers, of whom you know a great deal about from your former command. And well, that is, that's, ap that's upbeat. <laughs> that's upbeat. Thank you so much okay. for that. Thanks. But seriously, thank you for everything that you've um, imparted on us this episode. It's well, been we covered really a lot of ground. Yeah. We did. It's absolutely fascinating. Thanks, everybody. I really appreciate that you're listening, and I enjoy reading your comments and, and uh, postings. Again, All thank right. you. This is Sammy Wink and Victor Davis Hansen, and we're signing off. It's Amanda Head, and I am thrilled to introduce to you my new exciting podcast, Furthermore, with Amanda Head, broadcasting weekly from sunny Los Angeles, California, and brought to you by the dynamic Just the News Podcast Network. On this fresh and engaging podcast, I delve into the latest news with a little bit of a twist, exploring the furthermore of every story. But this isn't your typical run-of-the-mill news commentary or politically charged program. I interview a diverse range of guests, including business leaders, entertainers, musicians, educators, expert politicians, and many influential figures from both the United States and around the world. So why not make your Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays a little more interesting? Tune in on your preferred podcast platform and discover furthermore with Amanda Head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And don't forget to hit that follow or subscribe button and be sure to download the latest episodes. I can't wait to have you join me on this exciting journey.